An unfamiliar car parks near your house, and two nice-looking people approach your front door. Your doorbell rings, and after exchanging some pleasantries, your unexpected guests offer you literature from the Watchtower Society. What will you say? What should you say? The Bible says we should conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. This is good advice as we open up conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Join us today as I feature Dr. Ron Rhodes, and we discuss his book, Conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. This is part two of a two-part series on responding and witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield and your host for today's program. I want to introduce my guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes. He is president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem. Well, I enjoyed reading your book, Conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Ron, you've written several books on, well, you've written many books on various topics, but several on witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses. Why another book? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, one of my earlier books is called Reasoning from the Scriptures with Jehovah's Witnesses, and it's a little over 400 pages long, and it's real detailed. And uh, for people who didn't feel like reading a book that long, I had written a smaller book of about 125 pages called The Ten Most Important Things You Can Say to a Jehovah's Witness, and that's kind of like the cliff notes. You know, it's kind of like the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Now, what I decided to do with another book is I wanted to do a book where I actually present conversations, you know, conversations that almost as if that somebody's just sort of looking over my shoulder as I'm talking to a Jehovah's Witness, kind of eavesdropping on a conversation. So whereas in some of my other books I presented the facts that needed to be communicated, one of the things I'm trying to do with this new book is to show people how to actually communicate. Mm-hmm. And you do that by just sort of giving sample, uh, you know, conversations. That's one of the best ways to do it. Yeah, I, I found it extremely interesting, and I've been witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses and helping family members for many years. Um, so let's talk just a little bit about the basics of conversations. Uh, why does effective conversation matter? Well, it matters for a number of reasons, but uh, first and foremost, you know, uh, Christ himself set an example for us, and it's not just a matter of what we say, but it's how we say it. Uh, You know, too often apologetics seems to involve just providing right answers to people, and as you know, Kay, apologetics is more than that. It begins with a person who is so committed to Jesus Christ that Jesus shines through them, and that necessarily means treating other people with respect and kindness, and it's important that we learn to converse, because if we don't, you know, we might have all the right information in the world, but if we can't communicate it right, then what's the use? We've lost the battle right there. And so conversing is an extremely important thing, and the the thing of it is, is that most people are unaware of the right way to do it with cultists. Mm. You know, I'm sure you know, Kay, that you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are very well trained. Yes, they are. And I think sometimes Christians feel just a little bit intimidated. And uh, I don't want Christians to feel that way. I want Christians to know that they can carry on an intelligent conversation 
And uh, what I've tried to do in this book is not just provide the information that people will need, but to actually show them the kind of conversation that should take place. And dare I say, that conversation needs to be sprinkled with grace Mm. and love and compassion and kindness. You know, okay, if you've got all the right answers, but you've got an attitude, a bad attitude, you'll lose them right there. You bet. You bet. Yes, you will. Thank you. And um, you talk about the importance of listening. And that really, um, as I read it, I thought, well, I always talk about asking good questions, but um, I don't think I've clearly articulated that when I've been teaching, and it is so critical. I do listen well, but I'm not sure I'm teaching that to others. So why do we need to let them talk? Isn't it our turn? Don't we have to say everything and and make sure they know it's all wrong, Ron? Well, you know, I used to be the perfect example of the wrong way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I hate to say that, but I mean, when I was a young Christian, and I encountered Jehovah's Witnesses, and I often encountered them. There was a kingdom hall not too far from where we lived. Uh, they would start to speak, and I would constantly interrupt. And I was interrupting in order to share the truth. The problem is, is that my constant interruptions turned them off. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't want to hear what I had to say, even though what I had to say was actually the truth. And I started to, th- to think about what Jesus said about how treating others the way that, uh, that, that you would want them to treat you, you know, the golden rule. And just think how you would feel if you were talking to somebody and they were constantly interrupting what you said. You wouldn't like it very much. And so the same thing is true in talking to a Jehovah's Witness. We need to listen to what they say and resist that urge to interrupt. And then once they finish what they have to say then you can share the truth with them. And the very fact that you've listened to them will show them that you're courteous, that you're interested in them, and that's got to happen before they're going to listen to what you have to say. And so listening is critically important. Now you talk about goal-driven conversations and the importance of effective redirection. I see that in many of the examples you give, but explain to our listeners what you mean by goal-driven conversations. Well, you know, this, uh, this issue of uh, redirection is critically uh, important simply because very often when Jehovah's Witnesses show up on the doorstep, they might want to talk to something that's not really that important. You know, they might want to talk about, uh, you know, Christmas trees. I mean, it's interesting, but it's not really that important. Or they might want to talk about uh, some other issue related to uh, the U.S. government or something. The critical thing to recognize is that while we can talk about those things for a few minutes, it's much wiser to segue to a topic of great importance because you don't know if you're going to see them again. Mm-hmm. And so what you're going to want to do is to, in a very courteous way, switch to important topics like who is the true God and who is Jesus Christ and what did Jesus do uh, in his death at the cross. Now, of course, we know they don't believe in the cross, but... Mm-hmm. I do deal with that in this book. But the fact is, is that we need to redirect to important conversational points. And I show you how to do that in this book. Um, you don't want to just cut them off. Even though they start off talking about Christmas trees, you don't want to just say, that's not important, and then mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you start talking about what you want to talk about. Rather, what you can do is use whatever they say as sort of a launch pad to talk about more important issues. And uh, there's a number of ways of doing that. You know, you might be uh, 
uh, talking about one particular issue related to, um, you know, angels, for example. They might be talking about angels. Well, you could quickly segue to Jesus because, you know, you could say, well, you know, in Colossians 1.16, it talks about how Jesus created the angels. Can we talk about Jesus for a few mm-hmm. minutes? Mm-hmm. Now, that's the kind of segue I'm talking about. You take whatever they're talking about and be just watching for an opportunity to switch to a more important topic. That's great. And and learning how to do transitions is a skill that we can learn. And again, you give a lot of good examples here. So thanks for sharing that. Now, um, one of the other things that I found interesting is you have some specific goals anytime you're talking even about big issues. And one is to help them understand some things about the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. What is that that you want them to know? Well, the Watchtower is really the authoritative uh, resource for the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's considered the voice of God. It's considered a prophet. And if you can, in a loving way, tell the truth about the Watchtower, uh, that's just as important as sharing the truth about Jesus Jesus Christ and, you know, the gospel of salvation. I say that because if you can help them to understand the real truth about the Watchtower Society, then that's going to undermine their belief uh, in, in their source of authority. You see, the Watchtower is the source of authority for all the beliefs mm-hmm. of the Watchtower. And what you want to do is to undermine that, and you can do that in a number of ways by you know, asking questions about their false prophecies, for example. I often ask Jehovah's Witnesses about their false prophecies, and, you know, uh, one Jehovah's Witness responded by apologizing to me. Hmm. Kind of took me off guard at hmm. first, but, you know, they said, you know, we, we recognize that we were wrong on those early prophecies, so um, we apologize for that, and will you forgive us? Mm-hmm. And, of course, I said, well, yes, uh, certainly I, I'm, I'm forgiving, just as Christ has forgiven us. But I do need to ask you a question, and I, and I mean no disrespect in asking this, but here's the question. Where does it say in the Bible that if a false prophet apologizes for his false prophecy, he is no longer a false prophet? Mm-hmm. You see, it's not to be, not to not be mean-spirited. It, right. It's to make the very important point that apologizing is a nice thing to do, but it doesn't get you off the hook right. in terms of all the wrong things that have been said. So what I like to do in conversing with Jehovah's Witnesses is not just tell them the truth about Jesus and what Jesus did in his death and the gospel, but I also like to, in a very strategic way, undermine their confidence in the Watchtower Society. Because they are trusting in an organization, not in Jesus Christ. Well, that's right. This organization sets themselves up as God's organization, and all other organizations are said to be apostate, led by Satan, and uh, in deception, and so forth. And so if it's true that the Watchtower was all those things, then wouldn't it also be true that the Watchtower never had false prophecies? Mm -hmm. If the Watchtower really was Jehovah's Voice, wouldn't it be true that the Watchtower would not consistently change its position on key doctrines? You know, and I talk about some of that stuff in my book here, just, uh, again, not to be Mm mean-spirited, but just to help the Jehovah's Witness understand that uh, they've not really been told the, the, the truth about this. And furthermore, if you can't really understand God's Word at all without the Watchtower, then what about all the people who lived prior to the Watchtower Society? 
You know, the watchtower is yeah. a pretty recent invention. Sure, 1900s. Right. Mm-hmm. So what about all those people that lived in the centuries between, you know, the founding of Christianity all the way up until the time that the watchtower was founded? You know, th- those kinds of questions are just very, very important for the Jehovah's Witness because they help them to understand that maybe they haven't been told the truth. Mm-hmm. And you do ask a lot of questions as we, and we can maybe transition to an example of one of the bigger issues that you talk about. There are many that I want to deal with. I don't know how many, uh, how much time we'll have, but you ask questions in a loving, caring way, not um, to help them think, to help them see that what they're believing may not be true, to ask them, where do you get that belief? Do you, you know, where in the Bible? You always go back to God's Word. Where do you believe that? So just it, it, one conversation on on a big issue. Uh, let's start with, uh, maybe let's start with the Watchtower Society. What do you share with them? Well, if I'm talking about the Watchtower Society, what I want to do is to help them, first of all, uh, you know, understand what the claims of the Watchtower Society are throughout its history. And uh, that's found in Watchtower magazines, you know, the Watchtower magazine as well as Watchtower books. And I help them to understand, uh, you know, not only what they've claimed, but why those claims cannot possibly be correct. Uh, they, for example, might teach that Scripture is insufficient in and of itself in learning the things of God, and you must therefore have the Watchtower Society to teach you. Well, you know what? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 15 to 17, that every person has the ability to understand Scripture. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to help us understand Scripture. So what I might do in this case, Kay, is I might open up to the Bible in 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 to 17, and ask them what they think about this indication that, that every person has the ability to understand Scripture for themselves. Or I might ask them, how did people before the Watchtower Society understand Scripture? Didn't God care about those people, too? And if those people could understand the Bible without the Watchtower, well, then why can't I? Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a number of logical questions that you can ask to make your point. Okay. I want to make some announcements, and then I'll come back and we'll talk some more about some of these larger issues and how to use these strategies to help them uh Find the truth. Each week, Family Shield offers a booklet or resource to our listeners. This week, we're offering several complimentary tracks that will help our listeners understand the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses and how to respond to them in love and with the gospel. To receive the tracks, call our response center, 1-877-317-4326. If you're a Thrivent financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. To learn more, go to the Thrivent website at www.thrivent.com and then slash Thrivent Choice. Or you can call them and talk to someone about this, 800-847-4836. We love to hear from our listeners and encourage your prayers and financial support. Although the gospel is free, radio airtime is not. Your support at this time would be a great blessing and will allow us to continue to pay for radio airtime in your community. Write us at Family Shield Ministries, 
P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. Again, I'm interviewing Dr. Ron Rhodes and his book, Conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. It's published by Harvest House Publishers, and I know it's available online at at, uh, bookstores on Amazon. Ron, is there other places they can receive or find the book? Sure, there's just all kinds of online sites, not just Amazon, but barnesandnoble.com and Books a Million, and there's just a ton of bookstores. And then, of course, your uh, local bookstores across the country um, are carrying the book as well. Um, you know, so, I mean, just wherever you get it, my prayer, my goal is just to help people understand the truth of Scripture and how that truth can be shared with Jehovah's Witnesses. I really don't care about book sales. I care about reaching mm-hmm. people with the truth. Mm-hmm. And so to that extent uh, that, that we can do that, I'll just be, you know, tickled pink. Good. That's great. Well, another one of your big issues in your book, and one that we have brought up several times over the last few weeks and I want to address, is to explain to our listeners how to address the anointed class and the other sheep. And you have a, a, a little chapter on that. Um, sometimes they use different terminology, but it's when uh, they believe that 144,000 people are going to be in the heavenly kingdom. Explain that to our listeners and then explain how you talk with a witness about that topic. Well, it's, it's a real important thing. I mean, they do talk about how the highest privileges go to the anointed class. These are the heavenly believers. It's just 144,000, and therefore they're called God's little flock. And they first emerged with the Twelve Apostles and other Christians in the first century. And then, uh, allegedly, those slots filled up around 1935. All other Jehovah's Witnesses are um, you know, they're, they're not a part of this anointed class, but rather they're the other sheep. They're the ones that will live forever on earth, as opposed to living in heaven. And so you've got two groups of saved people, according to Jehovah's Witnesses and what I try to do in a conversation is just to help the Jehovah's Witness understand the falsity of that. You know, for example, I love to point to the whosoevers in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus himself often said that whosoever believeth in him would have a heavenly destiny. Now, if Christ said it, doesn't that mean it's true? Can Christ be wrong? Uh, I also like to ask them about John 10, verse 16, where Jesus affirms that all believers will be together in one flock under one shepherd. Now, how can you have two different groups of people but still be part of one flock? How can you have one group of people, uh, say, people in heaven and the other group of people on earth and still be under the one shepherd? I mean, it just doesn't make good sense. And even beyond what Christ says, okay, I like to take them over to the Apostle Paul, who's so great on all this, because Paul is very clear that a heavenly destiny awaits all who believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2.19, and Philippians 3.20, and Colossians 3.1. Never, ever does Scripture confine heaven to a mere 144,000 people. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's great. And that is, in you know, that is one of the conversations on big issues that you address in your book, Conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. This is, as you said, such an important topic, but it deals with salvation. And when we talk with Jehovah's Witnesses, we have to understand they are 
believing they must do good works to be saved. And they can never really be sure of that salvation this side of heaven. And they don't believe in the heaven we do, can they, Ron? Well, that's right. You know, salvation very much depends upon works in the Jehovah's Witness uh, group. And they do talk about grace, but they define grace as more or less the opportunity for humans to go out and earn their salvation by total obedience. And that's not the grace of the Bible. In the Bible, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. It's not uh, grace mixed into a works scenario like they have it. Uh, They do talk about the necessity of faith, but you have to add works to it, according to them. And what's interesting is that uh, in in the conversations I have with Jehovah's Witnesses, I like to point out to them that close to 200 times in the New Testament, salvation is said to be by faith alone, with Mm -hmm. no works in sight. John 3.15, John 5.24, John 11.25. In fact, Kay, I love the Gospel of John, because it's just loaded with good stuff on Mm -hmm. salvation. And uh, you're right, they don't have any assurance of salvation, but, uh, you know, the Scriptures tell us that those of us who trust in Christ, we are sealed unto the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote that because he wanted Christians to be absolutely sure Sure. that they were saved. And likewise, in John's Gospel, we are told that nobody can snatch us believers out of Christ's hand. And John even says that the whole reason why he wrote his Gospel was that Christians could be sure of their salvation. So, I mean, they, they may not be sure of their salvation because they do works, but for those of us who believe in the true Gospel of grace, uh, recognizing that it's a gift from God, uh, we can be absolutely sure, and that's what I try to communicate to the Jehovah's Witness in conversing with them. Absolutely. We want to share that law and gospel. Well, um, let's talk about conversations with witnesses related to the word Jehovah. Well, as you know, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jehovah has been removed by the uh, devious scribes from the Bible. And they will even tell you that most Bibles cannot be trusted, even though there are some Bibles, like the King James, that might mention Jehovah four times, that most Bibles have taken the word Jehovah out of the Bible. And as a result of that, no other organization can be trusted. Now, they have actually come up with a new Bible translation which reinserts Jehovah all throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament, wherever they think it's referring to the Father. Now, by the way, okay, they do that despite the fact that there's not a single Greek manuscript anywhere that supports that. The fact of the matter is, is that the true God is known not just by the word Yahweh, which is a true biblical word, but actually God is called numerous things throughout Scripture. He's called Elohim and Adonai. He's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's called our Father. He's called Abba. I mean, God just has all kinds of wonderful names throughout the Bible. And I think that where the Jehovah's Witnesses go most seriously wrong is insisting that unless you use the word Jehovah in the right way, you will not be saved. Mm -hmm. So they make the Bible a Jehovah's book. And I think that the truth is that, um, particularly in the New Testament, the New Testament is a Jesus book. Mm -hmm. Uh, The forgiveness of sins is found in the name of Jesus. John one twelve, John 3.16, Acts 10.43. We are told that Jesus is the only way of salvation, John 14.6, Acts 4.12. And so what I like to do is to, to ask them questions and converse in a way that I help them to see that the Bible is really and truly a Jesus book. And toward that end, 
I try to ask questions that will help them take off the lens of the Watchtower Society through which they read Scripture. In other words, I want them to read Scripture itself. I don't want them to read through the lens or the grid of the Watchtower, uh, which has superimposed these various meanings onto the true Bible. And so, again, you know, when I converse with Jehovah's Witnesses, that's the ultimate goal. That's right. And they do have uh, their own Bible, the New World Translation, and one of our tracks is uh, about this and the details related to the fact that those that translated it had no um, biblical knowledge, Greek or Hebrew, that were able to do that, and it, that it is not recognized by Greek and Hebrew scholars. Well, in fact, uh, over 99.999% of the world's Greek scholars give two thumbs down mm-hmm. to this translation. And in fact, the words that are used to describe this by legitimate scholars are words like pernicious, mm. deceptive, mm-hmm. radically biased. Mm-hmm. In other words, this translation is done specifically in such a way that it supports Watchtower theology. Absolutely. Now, we have a little bit of time left. Let's talk a minute about their belief related to soul sleep and hell. It's a great question, Kay. You know, they say that man does not have a soul that is distinct from the physical Mm -hmm. body that can survive death, but rather every person is a soul, not because he or she possesses an immaterial nature, but because he or she is a living being. And so they teach that since at death man has no immaterial nature that survives, He is obviously not conscious following the moment of death. Therefore, hell is not an eternal place of suffering, but it's just the common grave of humankind. That's kind of the quick summary. The the truth is, is that man does have a distinct soul. And the moment that your spirit departs the body, if you're a Christian, your spirit goes into the presence of God. To be apart from the body is to be at home with the Lord, 2 Mm -hmm. Corinthians 5.8. And by contrast, unbelievers go to a place of holding where they're being punished, where they're awaiting that future judgment. So Scripture is very clear that we do have an immaterial nature. We're also conscious following the moment of death. I'm thinking about Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10, where we find disembodied souls of believers conversing with God. Okay, you've got to be conscious to converse yeah. with other people and, right. and converse with God. Yeah. And then finally, hell really is a place of suffering. Revelation 20, verse 15, and all who go there suffer eternally, Matthew 25, 46. And the suffering of the wicked are just as eternal as the eternal life of believers. The same Greek word for eternal is used in both cases. So bottom line is, is that Jehovah's Witnesses read their own theology into all those things. They use biblical words, but they pour different meanings into those biblical words. You bet. We have 60 seconds left. Can you just make maybe one brief comment as we close? Well, yes. I would just comment briefly on the true gospel, because Jehovah's Witnesses need to understand that salvation is found only in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the sins of humankind. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, like Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Rather, Jesus took the penalty for all sin upon himself at the cross. And because of the sacrifice he made, you and I can have eternal life. He took what was ours, that is to say our sin, so that we could have what was his, that is to say eternal life. 
And that's the glorious good news of the gospel. That is great good news. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. My guest again has been Dr. Ron Rhodes. We've been talking about his book, Conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.